This is the Advocatus Intimitati Podcast with Matt Lore, Episode 5. Hello, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Advocatus Intimitati Podcast, released on Monday, the 30th of September, 2019. I am your host, Matt Lore, here with a selection of privacy stories this week in the first half, followed by a discussion of the storage limitation principle. In a much-anticipated ruling, the Court of Justice of the European Union ruled this week that Google is not required to remove links from versions of its search engine outside the European Union when a data subject exercises their right to be forgotten. Google had appealed a 2016 order of the French Data Protection Authority, fining them €100,000, for only removing links from their European domains, such as Google.fr, and not from Google search results globally. The authority had also rejected Google's proposal to remove results from searches originating in the EU based on IP address, regardless of the Google domain used. While the court made a point to say that the EU legislature was competent to enact a law requiring worldwide takedown, it found as a matter of statutory construction that there was no evidence the EU intended to do so either with the Data Protection Directive or the GDPR in light of the fact that data protection laws vary significantly around the world. The court reminded that the right is to be forgotten is not absolute, and the balance between an individual's right to be forgotten and the public's right to information is far from universal. While the court held that there was no provision of law prohibiting Google from worldwide takedown, the law only demanded measures which effectively prevent or at least very seriously discourage an Internet user in the EU from gaining access to those links. This decision was hailed not only by Google, but also by Microsoft, the Wikimedia Foundation, and several press freedom organizations that had filed briefs supporting Google's position. One of the most compelling arguments was that if the EU court held that Google must remove links on a worldwide basis, this would invite authoritarian regimes around the world to require likewise of content they found objectionable, and would lead to widespread censorship of the internet. The court threaded the needle by saying that as a matter of law, the EU could require worldwide delisting, but that current law did not. I think the court made a good call here. But this question over to what extent national governments can control what content is available on the global internet is far from settled, and we can expect to see more litigation like this in the years to come. Alastair McTaggart, the privacy activist who drove the California legislature to adopt the CCPA, has another ballot initiative in the works. This new legislation, building on the CCPA, would require data subjects' consent for the sale of health or financial records and precise geolocation data, and would allow data subjects to block their use for targeted advertising. The initiative would also enact stronger protections for data of persons under 16, and perhaps most importantly, would create a new agency to enforce California privacy laws a task which currently falls to the Attorney General. Unlike with the CCPA, where McTaggart withdrew the ballot initiative when the legislature rushed through a bill, this time he says he intends to go to the ballot in November of 2020. Amazon has announced new tools to allow Alexa users to specify a retention period, either 3 or 18 months, for the recordings from their devices. These features, which will not be enabled by default, come in the wake of revelations around Amazon outsourcing the review of recordings to contractors in foreign countries and the release of tools to allow the deletion of individual recordings. 
Amazon is far from alone in controversy over voice assistants, with similar outrage directed against Google, Microsoft, and Apple. Apple, to their credit, has now changed their policy to no longer retain recordings by default. These controversies illustrate the disconnect between tech companies' interests and their users' expectations. To developers familiar with machine learning techniques, it comes as no surprise that these companies want humans to review records to correct the speech-to-text engine's interpretation. But users who understand that they are interacting with a computer are upset to learn that their interaction has been recorded and is being listened to by an Amazon contractor in Poland. These companies chose to make this the default, even mandatory, only to do damage control after the fact when these practices were exposed. They would not have had to look far to find a better model. Mycroft AI, an open-source and privacy-focused voice assistant, has an opt-in model. Full disclosure, I am an investor in Mycroft AI. Today I want to talk a bit more about the GDPR's storage limitation principle I mentioned in Episode 3. In my view, this is one of the most important principles of data protection law, but one that often gets short shrift. The storage limitation principle is really a requirement for appropriate data retention and destruction policies. At their heart, the principles are about giving the data subject some measure of control over the use of their personal information. They require transparency to the data subject over how their data is collected and used, and they give the data subject rights that they can enforce against the controller. But there may be instances where the data subject is unable to exercise those rights. Despite the transparency principle, they may be unaware that the controller is processing their data. They may also lack the understanding or technical knowledge to make a request for deletion. The storage limitation principle recognizes that even in the face of inaction by the data subject, data controllers should have an obligation to respect the data subject's autonomy. The processing of personal data should occur only where necessary under the data minimization principle, and so where no longer necessary for the purposes for which they were collected, the data must be destroyed. As a practical matter, the timeline for destruction may take several forms. It may take the form of a fixed time period, so you're collecting personal data to allow people to register for an event. For that, the event provides a date certain. You can delete the data once the event has occurred, perhaps with some short time window thereafter to resolve any disputes or requests for refunds. Fixed times periods are also appropriate where statutes of limitation are important. For example, a high-value transaction like buying a car or home. Other times, retention periods are more indefinite. One of the common scenarios I deal with in my day job is apps. When told of the storage limitation principles, developers will say that they need to keep the data forever because it is associated with an account. At this point, I ask, and what is your strategy for removing inactive accounts? That a user forgot they registered for your app and never requested deletion is not a justification to keep their data until the end of time. As long as a user is actively using the app, then storing their data is necessary. But once a user goes dark for a sufficiently long time, be it six months or a year, or whatever is sensible in context, their account should be removed and their data destroyed. Years ago, when electronic storage was much more expensive, there wasn't such a need for data protection principles to convince data controllers to prune old data. But it's worth noting that the storage limitation principle also reinforces a couple other principles. 
First, if you don't have the data, you can't lose the data in a data breach. Second, not keeping old data around helps to comply with the accuracy principle. Personal data quickly goes out of date. People move, change jobs, get married, die. Unless you continually refresh the personal data in your possession, you can count on it no longer being accurate. So a storage limitation principle may be treated as a red-headed stepchild sometimes, but understanding it is to really understand what animates data protection law. Well, that's all for episode five. Again, I welcome any thoughts, feedback, or suggestions you may have on this podcast. Please drop me a line at matt at lore.attorney. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.